Good morning. It's Thursday, the 29th of February, and this is Govind Rajati Raj broadcasting from Mumbai, India's financial capital. The next time I will be broadcasting on this date is obviously four years from now, being a leap year and all of that. And I'm assuming you're not tired of those jokes already. Our top stories and themes for the day. Indian markets are spooked by a regulatory focus on small cap stocks. Reliance in Disney firm up a joint venture valued at $8.5 billion. More weight loss drugs on the way as Eli Lilly follows Novo Nordisk into India. 2023 was the safest year for flying, but are Indian pilots in good shape? And Apple scraps its car project, moves staff to generative AI projects. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Markets are standing by for data. As we've been discussing in the last few days, the markets world over are now standing by for more data, mostly economic numbers like gross domestic product, which is expected today. Remember, earnings season is over, so no more signals on that front. Global investors are focusing on US inflation data today, while India will release its GDP data, which as per a Reuters poll has moderated to 6.6% for the October to December quarter. One thing that spooked the markets yesterday was the news that we discussed yesterday, which is that the Securities and Exchange Board of India is asking mutual funds running small cap and mid cap schemes to moderate inflows and rebalance their portfolios apart from disclosing their cash position so that investors know who has how much if they want to run for the door. In 2023, mid-cap mutual fund schemes got inflows of about 23,000 crores and small cap got about 41,000 crores. These are schemes in mutual funds, while large cap schemes actually saw an outflow of about 3,000 crores according to money control. Now, there is a larger point to this as we discussed yesterday and I'll come back to that in a moment. The BSE Sensex fell about 790 points on Wednesday to settle at 72,304. The Nifty 50, on the other hand, closed at 21,951, falling 247 points or 1.1%. Incidentally, for the Nifty, this was the biggest loss in about 25 sessions, while for the Sensex, it was the biggest loss in 21 sessions. Now to the point about the regulator's actions. It is quite clear that regulators, whether in banking or stock markets, are on heightened alert. The Reserve Bank of India is alert to small loans and potential defaults apart from other headaches like money laundering via unknown accounts in payment bank accounts. SEBI obviously does not want small investors to pile on to small cap stocks or mutual funds that invest in them, which are by nature volatile, if not in some cases totally suspect and thus lose their shirt. And when I say totally suspect, I mean the stocks and not the mutual funds. Now, there are other areas where SEBI is also trying to focus, for example, the identity of foreign investors who invest in Indian markets, whose identity is clearly not known in many cases, so that share prices are not propped up by these overseas funds that essentially owe allegiance to owners and promoters of companies back home. Now, that of course has already happened, but it's actually not so much of a direct market risk problem. Now, when markets are high, valuations are high to stretched, and people have stretched themselves by taking more loans that they can afford by most parameters, then it is time to be concerned as the regulators rightly are. Sanctions on Russia could affect sale of oil to India. The United States has imposed fresh sanctions on Russia, which could affect sales of Russian oil to India. Presently, the biggest buyer of Russian seaborne crude, Reuters has reported. The sanctions specifically target Russia's leading tanker group, Sovkomflot, which Washington accused of being involved in violating the G7's price cap on Russian oil 
as well as 14 crude oil tankers tied to Sovcom flood. Interestingly, India did not buy much Russian oil before 2022 due to high freight costs, but things changed after the Russian-Ukraine war and a ban by Europe on Russian oil imports. Till then, India was mostly buying crude from the Middle East, which of course it's now moving back to. Russia became India's top supplier in 2023, supplying almost 36% of India's crude requirements. Now, broadly, India imports almost 85% of its crude needs. So at this point, negotiations are on with Russia, also for cheaper crude varieties like the Urals, but the outcome is not clear as yet. Reliance and Disney announce a joint venture valued at $8.5 billion. A move that was much expected, awaited and of course speculated on with the potential to shake up India's media industry has finally been announced. Reliance Industries, Viacom, 18 Media and the Walt Disney Company yesterday announced the signing of binding definitive agreements to form a joint venture to combine the businesses of Viacom and Star India. The proposed joint venture will have or potentially have about 750 million viewers across India and will also address the Indian diaspora across the world. Now, this is a binding agreement and not the final deal in the manner it's been announced. A formal Reliance Industries release said that they have agreed to invest at closing about 11,500 crores or $1.4 billion into the JV for its growth strategy. The transaction values the JV at about $8.5 billion, about 70,000 crores on a post-money basis, excluding synergies. Following all these steps, the JV will be controlled by Reliance Industries, which was completely expected, and owned in this fashion, 16% by Reliance, 46% or 47% by Viacom18, which also Reliance owns, and about 37% by Disney. So Disney continues in the company at 37%, which is a little higher than I think what most people expected. Nita Ambani will be the chairperson of the joint venture and Uday Shankar will be the vice chairperson providing strategic guidance to the JV as mentioned in the official release. Uday Shankar used to be CEO of Star India earlier. The JV will bring together media assets like Colors, Star Plus, Star Gold and in sports, Star Sports and Sports 18. All of those brands or many of those brands is quite likely known to you. And finally, the JV will also provide access to events and sporting events across television and digital platforms through GeoCinema and Hotstar. Eli Lilly to follow Novo Nordisk into India with weight loss drugs. Novo Nordisk's Ribeslis has become wildly successful as an anti-obesity drug in a market in India with a 66% share of the value of all anti-obesity drugs. Ribeslis was launched just two years ago in January 2022. Not surprisingly, competition, that is global competition, is knocking on the door here. US drug maker Eli Lilly says it will launch Mounjaro, its blockbuster diabetes drug and also popular obesity treatment in India as early as next year after it clears an ongoing regulatory review, according to its CEO David Ricks, who spoke to Reuters on Wednesday. So here's the background. One in four adults in India is overweight today. Some 22% of all males in India, 23% of females and 11% of children in India are overweight. The market, as we've discussed before on the core report, for obesity is large. Rick told Reuters they were open to authorized generic versions of drugs containing tyrosipatide, the active ingredient in popular diabetes and weight loss drugs, including, of course, Monjaro. Monjaro is currently sold in the United Kingdom and Europe under the same brand name for both conditions. However, it is sold as Zepbound for weight loss in the United States. All these drugs were primarily meant for type 2 diabetes but are being used worldwide for weight loss as they slow digestion among other things. 
2023 was amongst the safest years in aviation. The International Air Transport Association has released a 2023 annual safety report for global aviation, saying several 2023 parameters showed best-ever results. There were no hull loss or fatal accidents involving passenger jet aircraft in 2023, IATA said, and one single fatal accident involving a turboprop aircraft with 72 fatalities. Now, this is amid some 37 million aircraft movements, up 17% over the previous year. IATA says that all accident rate was about 0.8 per million sectors in 2023. That's one accident for every 1.2 million flights. That was an improvement from 1.3 in 2022 and apparently the lowest rate in over a decade. Now, I know that these are a lot of numbers to digest, but the one to perhaps note is that the fatality risk has improved to a point that on an average, a person would have to travel by air every day for 103,000 years to experience a fatal accident. Airlines say they will have to hire more pilots to meet safety rules. Speaking of safety, major Indian airlines have asked Regulator Director General of Civil Aviation to defer the implementation of new rules on pilot rest and duty period by a year, the Economic Times reported. The Federation of Indian Airlines, a lobby group which consists of Indigo, Air India, Vistara and SpiceJet that together carry about 95% of passengers, have apparently said the new rules will require them to increase the number of pilots by 25% and hiring and training them will not be possible by June 1st, the deadline, and that will force them to cancel up to 20% of the flights. The FIA also claimed, according to this report, that the new rules are ambiguous and more restrictive than anywhere in the world and will make the Indian aviation industry less competitive than other countries. The new flight duty rules followed a detailed investigation, followed in turn by several pilots either falling ill and in one or two cases even dying, were announced by DGCA in January and rewrites the definition of night period, extending it by an hour from 12 a.m. to 5 a.m. to now 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. and limits the duty period to 10 hours. It also caps the number of landings a pilot can do to two. Now, there are some differences between Indian and international regulations. For example, the US and Europe do not restrict the number of landings. The larger issue, of course, is safety and pilots being in good form and shape as they fly hundreds of passengers, including you and me, at a time, including through the oddest of hours. I reached out to Captain Sam Thomas, president of the Airline Pilots Association of India or ALPA, and I began by asking him how he was seeing the new regulations on one end and if airlines would find it, at least from his perspective, commercially viable if they needed so many pilots as they claimed. We have to put something in perspective. Federation of Indian Airlines doesn't represent any passenger. It is a group of very powerful individuals running airlines, owning airlines in India. It was started by my boss himself, uh, Mr. Naresh Goel, to lobby, and they are entitled to that. And they do not represent passengers in any capacity. Point two being that there is a reason why the world put pressure on the DGCA and the Ministry of Civil Aviation. And this is not India-specific. They've been trying to make flight duty time limitations more pilot-friendly because this data simply is overwhelming. Pilots are falling dead on the controls as well as off it. And that is what has prompted the ICAO and NASA to have a risk management study, fatigue risk management study, 
and they've promulgated that. And these rules that have come in now are followed of that. And I must take everything at face value at the moment and congratulate DGCA and Ministry of Civil Aviation. I'm seeing this for the first time in my life and that they have stuck to their guns and not altered it. The standard procedure is one person in DGCA comes out with a draft CAR and I have been a participant in 2007 wherein we were told that X person of this airline will not allow this rule, Y person of another airline will not allow this rule, so we should do it this way. And it's a piecemeal kind of effort. And clearly, they were influenced by the owners of or promoters of airlines. Now, in India, like everywhere else, I won't single out India for this, commercial interests override overwhelmingly the passenger safety and the safety of crew. So we would also like you to highlight that if the argument given is that they would be 25% short, would it not be prudent to think of the corollary of the theorem and say that currently the pilots who are working 25% more than their capacity that they can humanly do? Right. But wouldn't the answer like in most such situations be somewhere in between? Because, I mean, what the DGCA is saying, for instance, now is that you have to do less landings and working hours are limited to 10 hours. Whereas, let's say, internationally, the working hours are also limited, but the landings are not, for example. So, I mean, wouldn't there be some kind of common factors and maybe not so common factors between not just India, but in other countries as well? Absolutely, absolutely. And that can only be reached if all stakeholders sit together and make a genuine effort. I'm not saying that the pilots must get all the benefits or the everything that is going in a particular manner should affect the planning of the airlines. Now, historically, we never flew so much in India. When there was Indian Airlines and Air India, we never flew these many hours. It is with the advent of low-cost airlines that there is a systemic change that is required. I mean, it's not as easy as what you're saying that, you know, we should meet midway through. This is a matter of flight safety. And you cannot have midway through meetings in flight safety. Now, you say that in Europe, it is a little bit more easier than it's in India. You have to take the holistic sort of environment that is there. Say, for instance, in the U.S., you have no problem driving 50 miles, coming to operate an airplane. And because you have lovely roads, you have no problems. You just come in and in Bangalore, for instance, I am based out of Bangalore. The airport is 45 kilometers away and it takes me at least an hour and a half to reach the airport. Now, that's just one aspect of it. Now, you have transportation, you have stresses along with that. And it is not engine driver to a bus driver to a pilot as a lot of people believe in India. Because even now, I'm telling you that the brainiest of brainy people in India or world over are considered to be the brain surgeons. When a brain surgeon makes a mistake, one person dies. When a pilot makes a half a mistake, at least 150 of you are in danger. So it's a case of apples and oranges. Yes, you are right. Can there be a betterment of something? Can we meet on common ground? Absolutely, we can. Provided we all sit together and move it to a point which is acceptable to everybody. However, I am still pro-DGCA, pro-MOCA, 
going one way and saying that we are in charge of safety, we'll take full care of it. And this is the first time that Federation of Indian Airlines have been turned down for any of their requests. And that I would like to once again congratulate the ministry. So let me ask you as a pilot, so what in your mind is an ideal time? I mean, you know, I mean, you've, you said you've been flying at a time when maybe the loads were much less because obviously aviation in India had not taken off to the way or in the manner that it has now. So what in your mind, working and operating in India is an ideal mix, including the number of landings? We had a fantastic thing in Jedevils, which was about four landings in a day. And we could barely manage on that. Now, having said that, it's not like the four landings is the best answer. In the circadian low, Govind, it, it is very difficult for me to explain to somebody as to how much of critical requirement all your faculties are while landing an airplane with 200, 300 passengers. And given the conditions in India, you have the monsoons, you have the low visibilities, and you have big, big shortage of air traffic controllers and the entire ecosystem is not geared up to handle these many flights. And what is playing a critical role now is the flight duty time limitations. What has happened? Just an hour has been increased from 12 o'clock midnight to 5 o'clock has become 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock. I don't see how that is going to affect anything. And when you are saying that don't use a pilot to land more than two times in the circadian low, I would say, I mean, you know, in, in Europe, there are places where there are no flights at night because of noise, noise control. Noise, right? yes. Noise abatement. Absolutely. Now, why are they so special that they would like to sleep at night? And Indians, it's okay. You keep flying triple sevens right over the approach in uh, Delhi. So, one thing, first time I'm seeing in my life is something progressive happening. And I don't know why there is so much of a problem. And at one stage, you say there are many unemployed pilots in India. Please start employing them. You're not paying the highest in the world. You're paying the least in the world. So, argument goes both ways. Right. And and I mean, I think there is a, I guess, a more detailed commercial conversation, but that I'd rather have with the airlines than with you. Captain Sam Thomas, thank you so much for joining me. Most welcome, sir. Mumbai delay is down, says Aviation Ministry. Sticking to aviation, the Civil Aviation Ministry has said that the air traffic situation has improved in Mumbai and delays in flight arrivals have reduced at Mumbai airport nearly two months after directions, including a reduction in flights were issued to tackle congestion at the airport. The ministry said that in the February 16th to 24th period, there were about 4,337 arrivals at the airport. And of them, there were no delays of more than one hour, while 178 planes were delayed for 30 to 60 minutes. As many as 570 aircraft came before schedule, while others were partially delayed. This number was higher between November and December last year proportionately, which is delayed. Interestingly, the official statement said that the aircraft operating earlier than the approved slot led to congestion and delay for other aircraft adhering to the schedule, who in turn would have had a cascading effect on other scheduled movements. Mumbai, of course, has the distinction of having only one runway with a peak hour declared capacity of 46 aircraft movement. That's both arrival and departure. 
Apple scraps car project moves staffs to generative AI projects. Apple is cancelling a decade-long effort to build an electric car. Bloomberg is reporting abandoning an ambitious project in the history of the company. Apple made that disclosure internally on Tuesday, apparently surprising the nearly 2,000 employees working on the project. Many employees on the car team, known as the Special Projects Group or SPG, will apparently be shifted to the Artificial Intelligence Division and focus now on generative AI projects, an increasingly key priority for the company, which is, of course, not surprising. Also not surprising was the fact that investors welcomed the move and the stock was up on Tuesday after Bloomberg reported the news. Equally not surprising was the fact that Elon Musk, head of Tesla, celebrated the move with a predictable emoji on X. The project has apparently struggled from the start, though it had a working product, but right now it also was facing or likely to face a cooling market for electric vehicles in the United States, says Bloomberg, a fact that's of course now quite well documented. The Supreme Court strikes down Patanjali's advertisements. India's Supreme Court on Tuesday barred consumer firm Patanjali Ayurveda, co-founded by a yoga guru Baba Ramde, from publishing advertisements for its traditional Ayurvedic medicines that claim to cure some diseases. The Supreme Court order came after a lawyer from the Indian Medical Association told the court that Ramdev's firm had continued to publish newspaper ads claiming to offer permanent solutions for conditions like blood pressure, asthma and diabetes. The judge also asked Patanjali to explain why it should not initiate contempt of court proceedings against the company, according to Reuters. Mr. Ramdev accused doctors of spreading propaganda against traditional medicines, which are of course popular in India. The court said that Patanjali violated its assurance to judges last year in this ongoing case that it would not publish advertisements that make casual statements claiming medicinal efficiency. To get a sense on where the advertising industry stands overall on greater transparency when it comes to healthcare and medicine ads and the battle therein, I reached out to Manisha Kapoor, CEO of Advertising Standards Council of India, and I began by asking her how the ASCI was viewing the recent activity in this area. Healthcare has always been fairly violative category as far as ASCII is concerned. And in fact, you know, our half-yearly report for 23-24, which we released, I think, uh, late October, shows healthcare actually as the number one violative category. So close to about 21% of the advertisements that we have scrutinized in the first six months of this uh, fiscal have been from the healthcare category. It's a growing category. There are new subcategories being added to this whole spectrum. but So there are different kinds of violations. So we, of course, have the whole nutraceutical industry that's come up here. We also have a lot of clinics and you know healthcare spaces that are misleading consumers by saying things that are not correct in their advertisements. And then, of course, there is this whole disease prevention, curing, you know, talking about different medical conditions and talking of either management or cure of those conditions or prevention of those conditions. So those are the kind of healthcare claims that we have looked at. And as I said, it's it's one of the most violative categories that has right. come up in ASCII in the past uh, few months. Right. So now that you're tracking it actively and closely, where do you feel you're reaching or getting? You know, healthcare, one of the key subcategories of healthcare is advertising that violates the DMR, which is the Drugs and Magic Remedies Act. The act clearly calls out a few conditions that where uh, products cannot advertise that they can either prevent or cure those diseases. So there is a restriction in law itself. And we see many cases earlier, many of them were in, you know, really small newspapers and regional newspapers and print. But now with digital, we see a lot of these products also 
being available online in potential violation of DMR. So that's one. And like I said, I mean, you know, things like clinics, etc., hospitals, promising technology or cure or or specializing in certain conditions, etc., and where the claims may not always be backed by evidence. In the case of Patanjali in the Supreme Court, the Indian Medical Association has gone and filed a case and challenged their claims. Now, what does and can and will ASCII do in other situations that ASCII is following up on, including the ones that you just mentioned? So I think our process is quite, you know, in that sense, well established where, you know, we pick up the ad either through a complaint that has come to us or something that we may pick up suomoto. And then we would really write to the advertiser asking them to substantiate the claims they are making in the ad. When we receive their substantiation, it goes to the jury and the CCC uh, that we have, and they would kind of examine the arguments on both sides, as it were, and make a recommendation. Now, when we have voluntary compliance, which is usually quite high in all categories, so our overall voluntary compliance is upwards of uh, 90%. But in cases where we find that voluntary compliance is not forthcoming, we then escalate these cases to different ministries, depending on who the relevant sector regulator is. And then, of course, to the Department of Consumer Affairs as the nodal kind of ministry for advertisements as well. And we have seen in some cases, particularly we've seen FDA, we have seen Ayush also in some cases, keep us in the loop when they send out notices. In some cases, we may not always know what action the government has or hasn't taken. But really, I think if we do not get voluntary compliance, then we escalate these cases to the relevant regulatory authorities. So would you say in as an aggregate of all these actions, including what we've seen in the Supreme Court, though that was initiated by the Medical Association, would you say that the response to, I mean, the action and the response by those who have obviously put out those misleading claims is positive? I mean, from your point of view, that is. To some extent, we can say because there is a high degree of voluntary compliance. But I think the challenge in something like healthcare and also, you know, the financial categories are that these are inherently high risk categories for the consumer. There is a huge impact on the consumer's health or wealth and future and their just way of living. So these are, I think, just sectors which cannot afford to be lax in terms of the way that they speak with consumers, cannot afford to make unsubstantiated claims and which are not backed by scientific evidence. So I think the scrutiny on these sectors, therefore including healthcare, should be high by regulators. So there is just a greater scrutiny that is needed. So I would say even from the regulators, so whether it's a self-regulator or the different regulatory bodies, both in the health and finance sector, there is a need for much greater vigilance, a much greater uh, need to draw these cases to their logical conclusion. Manisha, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Govind. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening.